You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. One of the instructions that is given very strongly, repeatedly for this project is that you make it to the design that I give and do not go outside of that design. Make sure you stick to the pattern that I give. Moses goes up into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and he gets talked to about what he, all the things he has to do. And part of the, that time was about the tabernacle and the, um, the design or the pattern. He's told you must follow that extremely closely. And that was because... There was types and there was lessons in the tabernacle which were pointing forward to Christ and those things which were in the future. So they had to stick to the pattern to teach those lessons. And we'll see that referred to in the New Testament a little later. Hebrews chapter 9, probably most of Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 9 in particular is very specific about the the, um, the lessons which were taught in the tabernacle and it makes interesting reading once you've had a think about what we talk about this evening when you read Hebrews chapter 9. And I guess really at the end of our class tonight, my goal is to to show that it's not just these people that God is happy to bless with wisdom, to to learn and to come to to do things which are greater than themselves. Because God says, if you you lack wisdom, you ask for it and I'll give it to you. So the, the blessings that are given to these people we look at tonight are not just for them, it's still there for us today. And we're told to pursue wisdom. So seeing these things achieved, really, it should be an encouragement to us as well that God is still working with us living stones for that um, time to come. Okay, so these first couple of quotes here, um, talking about um, Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, in, to work in gold and in silver and in brass. So God was blessing these workmen, these artificers or tradesmen, whatever you would like to call them. God is blessing them and his spirit power, the Spirit of God, is moving them to achieve these goals. And when we think about the scriptures, we know in 2nd of Peter there it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's a very similar thing to the writing of the scriptures. God blessed people to, to do things that they couldn't normally do, to remember things and to, to um, record them in the way that he wanted to. He worked with them the same as he worked with these um, people at this time, building the, the uh, tabernacle. Okay, so, some meanings of some of the things we're going to be looking at this evening. First of all, um, the term cunning. Um, it's sort of something that we would not normally associate in a good way. If we would say a fox is cunning, we're not sort of thinking that it's doing good things. Um, but here this word of cunning it means to, to think, to plan, to esteem, to calculate, to invent. 
So they're making a judgment, uh, they're imagining, counting, but it's really about inventing things. And we'll see that come out when we look at wisdom as well. So wisdom, this is the description. It says, the right use or exercise of knowledge, the choice of a laudable end and the best means to accomplish them. This is wisdom in act, effect or practice. So there has to be knowledge, there has to be a goal and there has to be a plan put in place to achieve that goal. So that is wisdom in action. It's actually not just sitting back and giving advice, it's actually doing something, getting the knowledge that you have into action and achieving, here it says, a, a laudable goal or um, some praiseworthy um, um, goal is, is set. Okay, and the name of Bezalel and Aholiab, Bezalel's name means in the shadow of God and how, how appropriate for this project which they're about to do. And Aholiab, the father's tent. So really they're very um, linked in to, to the work which they um, are about to, to do. Okay, we mentioned that the pattern was very important. In Exodus chapter 25, we have, and look that thou make them after their pattern which was show thee in the mount. So Moses was given strict instructions to follow the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Now, when you, you build something, a house or probably most complex things, you're normally given drawings, you get, you're given paperwork, you're given a, a, um, a drawing of what to make. We read here this evening uh, a word description of building the tabernacle and that's always very fraught with, with danger because it's very hard, we'll all come up with a different concept of those, what those words mean and, and say. But here we have, Moses is not told about the tabernacle, he's shown what's there um, to be made. And the same thing happened to King David when he prepared to build the, um, the temple which he built. And in the first of Chronicles it says, All this, said David, Yahweh made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. So David was given the same instructions as what Moses was. Follow the pattern which I gave. And David here, he's, he seems like he's in fairly serious trouble because he's given a copy in writing. Usually if you get something in writing, it's fairly serious. And David gets a copy of his pattern in writing from God. Acts chapter 7, a New Testament reference back to the pattern. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. So God showed him what he had to do and he was told specifically to make it in the fashion to what he had seen. And why? Hebrews chapter 8. And it's talking about the priests here who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. 
as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern show thee in the mount. And earlier in that chapter it says, talks about Christ, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. So this is referring to Christ being the true tabernacle, um, which not made by man, but made by God. So the tabernacle which Moses had constructed in the wilderness was a, a, a foreshadowing picture type of what Christ was going to achieve. So the pattern was extremely important because without it being the same as what God wanted, the lessons which were being taught to the people were going to be lost. So it was critical that he followed after that um, pattern. Now, <clears throat> getting into more practical things, we don't have any artefacts from the tabernacle today. You can't go to a museum and, and see things which were in the tabernacle. You can't, you can't see them. So really all we have is a, a word picture here in Exodus which describes the things which were made. And in preparing for this evening, looking for pictures to display certain things, they were all different, and each one of them you look at and go, oh, that's wrong, because they obviously haven't read fully, because they've missed this bit, or they haven't done that. So it shows you that it's quite difficult to get a pictorial representation of what was made. So I've done my best. Now, the closest you could probably get to an accurate picture of a temple implement would probably be this one and most of you would know what that is it's not the menorah from the tabernacle this one would be from i think it was herod's temple would have been because these are the romans carrying away the spoils from ad 70. so this is a picture does anyone know where that's from martin it's in Rome. What's, what's it on? The arch of, it's on the Arch of Titus. So the victor, the victor draws the history. And here we have a picture of the, the menorah being taken away. And you'll see, see how it's got the, the hexagon base? You'll see that people copy that when they draw ones from the, from the tabernacle. They sort of carry over some of those ideas. Whether, whether that's accurate or not, we don't know. But that would be one of the earliest pictures that we would have of something that was in one of the temples. Other than that, we don't have anything physical to, to look at apart from the words which we read. <clears throat> now, as far as skills for the tradesmen who were making these um, implements, um, we, we can be sometimes a little, um, well, I, I guess I, I should speak for myself, I can sometimes go, oh, that was, in a, that was so long ago they wouldn't have really understood what to do. But you've got to be very careful because here we have a mould for making a bronze uh, dagger or a, a knife. So they would put these two stones together and they would mould the bronze into the shape and then they could work and make a knife. So we shouldn't underestimate the skills of these people that were making these things. And, and these, these things are coming from people that God didn't inspire. So 
Think about how much better the ones that God inspired would be making. So there was, there was technology to do these things. This bronze cup here is from 1000 BC. Now, Moses was around probably this, this the tabernacle, I, I think, was probably built around 1310 BC. That, that's what I'm sort of thinking. Um, it's a little hard to, to be emphatic about those numbers. So it's, this is 300 years later, but it shows you some of the intricate work that was being done by the contemporaries of the time. They weren't just sort of banging out some rough old cup. They were, they were quite elaborate pieces that they could make. So when we think about the things of the tabernacle, we shouldn't underestimate the ability, the beauty, and the art, and the, the skills that went into those things. We shouldn't underestimate that. Okay. <clears throat> This evening, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you know a fair bit about the tabernacle and what it looks like. So we're not going to go into a lot of detail and I'm going to be assuming your knowledge is at a certain level. Now, we've just read about Moses getting the gifts of the gold, of the silver, of the jewels from the people of Israel and having to say, hey, stop, we've got too much, stop. There's a lot of gold in this tabernacle and a lot of material, diamonds, all sorts of things, and he's had to tell them to stop. They're, they're basically camping in the wilderness. Like, all of this stuff has to have come from somewhere, and we know where that came from. They're, I think from memory, they're probably two or three months out of Egypt. It's not very long ago. I, I would think that's probably time. I can't quite remember. Haven't checked that. But it's, it's not very long. We're, we're, we're only just left Egypt. Remember what they were told when they were told to leave Egypt? Borrow stuff from your neighbour. And they borrowed, and they obviously borrowed a lot, because all of this stuff that is being used here to build the tabernacle really is spoils from Egypt. Now, not sure how many of you um, are interested, but... Most of you will know what the treasures of Tutankhamun's tomb looks like. And when I put this up, you'll know what I mean. This death mask here of Tutankhamun was made about the same time as they left Egypt, in about 1323 BC, something like that. It's very, very hard to be emphatic about the times. But just think about the workmanship which the Egyptians were doing when the Israelites left. And they borrowed from their neighbours and they took stuff with them from Egypt. This is what the contemporaries in Egypt were doing. This is their workmanship. So when you look at that face and you look and you go, that's an incredible piece of art. And that is being done at the same time as the tabernacle is being built. And we know of the quotes there about every woman shall borrow of her neighbour and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment and you shall put them on your sons and upon your daughters and you shall spoil the Egyptians. 
And they came both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets, earrings, rings, tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that had offered, offered an offering of gold unto Yahweh. So these are the spoils of Egypt which are going into making um, this tabernacle. <clears throat> we'll come back to this uh, picture in a little while. This, um, this tomb which was opened of Tutankhamun's was, um, I'm pretty sure it's one of the only ones that they found intact from this period of time. So it's a very good window into um, what was being done and it's quite incredible. One of the things which we notice in the building of the tabernacle, remember the, the lid of the ark was in one piece of gold, like it was worked together in one piece of gold. And I, I think we probably don't appreciate the beauty of that one piece of gold and that workmanship. And this next picture, which is the sarcophagus which Tutankhamun was in, so that mask there was inside of this. So that's a solid gold sarcophagus. And if you look closely, it's a bit hard to see, but around the sides are wings like a cherubim wrapping around this, um, this sarcophagus. So when you're talking about the, the ability to make things, to, to, to work with gold, and to do all sorts of incredible workmanship, there's a picture of the contemporaries of the day. And these are Egyptians, not Bezalel and Aholiab, who were moved by the Spirit of God to do a marvellous work. These are just normal Egyptians doing this. <clears throat> now, you can see the date there, 1323, um, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. If you look at Encyclopedia Britannica and you look at Moses' birth um, and you add 80 years on, you come to about 1310. And that, that's 3,300 years ago or so. Ten years is not a very much of an, uh, a difference, really. And we don't know, but I, I personally wouldn't be surprised if this here is a good witness to the Egyptians leaving Egypt. Because when you watch some of the uh, programs on this, there's some... There's some very grey questions about this, why he's here. He was only 18 years old. He, they don't know what he died from. All the other pharaohs died quite old. This one didn't. He's called the Boy King. And there's a few things which are really odd with this and they don't know the answers. And I wouldn't be surprised if this here is the work of the angel of death in the Passover. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. I'm not adamant about that, but the dates are very close. And when you read the quote, and it came to pass that at midnight, Yahweh smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So we know that the house of Pharaoh was affected. Um, but when you look into history, um, 
they'll tell you all these different ideas and they've got, you know, it's blood poisoning, it's this, it's that. The only thing that couldn't possibly be would be the Passover. So who, who knows? God might be giving us an illustration of his power over Egypt for us to see today. We, we don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. <clears throat> okay, so we've seen what the, the, the skills of the, the tradespeople of the day were, were capable of making. The Egyptians could do incredible things. And here we have Israel now called to make their own incredible things. Now we have here a picture of the tabernacle. This one was probably the most accurate I could find. Um, there was a lot of different permutations. But there's a few things I want you to notice um, as we go through. First of all, when the record is given, it starts with the ark in the most holy place and it works out. Tonight we'll be working the other way around and finishing with the focal point. So outside we have the, um, the altar, the brazen um, altar outside. We have the laver where they wash their hands. We then have the, the front pillars and the curtains. Remember in tonight's reading it said the pillars were of gold, but the sockets were of brass. So brass on the outside, gold on the inside. You can see there around the walls, there's a depiction of pillars, uh, wooden pillars with gold around them. And at the back, it's a bit hard to see, but you've got the lampstand at the back. We've got the table of the showbread on this side. And then the altar of incense up against the, the, uh, the veil and the curtain with the cherubims on them and the more pillars, but with silver sockets this time. And then you go into the most holy place where the ark is. So... We know those, those basic um, things. And then over the top were the different woven coverings, the skins and all those other sorts of things which, which mixed on to the top of that. But like Moses was told, the pattern was important. So things like the bronze sockets on the outside, the silver ones on the inside, it was all very important and they all spoke of different things as they went through. <clears throat> Now, as I went through um, this, I, I have to say I had to do a fair bit of homework. It wasn't a subject I knew a lot about, so I had to do a lot of homework. And there was things which I learned which I didn't really know. So this is one of them. The breastplate. I always remember pictures of it being just a solid chunk of gold um, with the stones in them. But when you read the actual record, it talks about a woven pocket um, that was woven into a pocket. So it was actually a pouch which had the two stones in it. Um, so this woven pocket was of gold, blue, purple, scarlet and fine twined linen. So it was hand spun with 12 stones mounted on the front. And on those stones were the 12 tribes names um, on there. And the Urim and the Thummim were in the pocket. So um, the stones were in there for making decisions um, by the priest, um, by God's direction. And he made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet and fine twine linen. And there we have in verse 3, And they did beat the gold into thin plates and cut it into wires, to work it in the blue, the purple, the scarlet, and the fine linen with cunning work. 
So they actually beat the gold so thin they could make it into it, they could cut it into a thread and they wove it in with the weaving of the fine twine linen and all the colours. So it would be sparkly and I guess the, the proportions of gold versus linen and all of those things would have been um, something that they knew about but we don't really know which, what they are. So the priests had a special plate on their, their chest. I, I personally think that they wouldn't have just been square stones. I think they would have been probably a more of a natural shape, each one of them, um, not necessarily square like that. Okay, now also um, the priest had their garments and they also had a hat. So we're really looking tonight more at the things at which they made, not the, the clothes or the the tabernacle curtains or anything like that. But the priest wore a bonnet on his head and he had a gold plate on his forehead. And on that gold plate on his forehead, um, it had engraved on that plate, holiness to Yahweh or holiness to the law. And it was tied with blue strings, had to be the right colour. So the pattern was going on and on. And so he had on his forehead, holiness to the Lord. So his thinking had to be separate and only on God. And it says that thou shalt put, a, put it on a blue lace, like a shoelace, like to tie it on, that it may be upon the mitre, which was his hat, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. So Aaron had it on his forehead to indicate his thinking had to be correct. Now, I said we were coming back to this, um, this picture. They've just left Egypt behind and they're coming out to be a, a holy, special people selected by God. What have they left behind? Who knows what's on the top there of the um, Pharaoh's headpiece? What, there's two things there. What are they? A snake. Yeah, there's one. What's the other one? That, you probably won't get this. Not a frog, no. No, no. It's a, it's a bird. It's a vulture. Egypt was obsessed with death. They, they've got the thinking of the serpent and they've got the vulture which picks the bones and clean, cleans the place up. So Israel had been called out of that environment to an environment where holiness to the Lord was what was expected of the people. So quite a contrast from the focus on death where they just came from. <clears throat> okay, the brazen altar. Um, this is, I'm, I'm not quite sure how they did this, but it was a wooden structure overlaid with bronze and then the things were burnt inside. So I'm not really sure how the wood goes inside of the, the bronze. I'm not really sure on that. But that's the description we're given. It also has a lattice underneath to let the air draw through and burn the animals. If you ever tried to burn an animal, like a full animal, it's hard work and it, you need to, it, it's, it's quite difficult. So this would have really drawn hard and, and, and burnt those, those animals up. Okay, so it was five cubits by five cubits, so it was square, and it was three cubits high. Now, a cubit is about that long, so 18 inches long. 
Um, so it was quite a sizable um, piece. I think from memory, three cubits is about 1.2 metres or something like that. So, you know, it's about, it's about so high. That's three cubits, so five cubits is probably going to be compared to the wall sort of square. Quite, quite big, but on the volume of um, offerings, not huge. Because don't forget, they had to actually pick this up and carry it around as well. So it couldn't be too big. It was made of um, shisson wood. We'll have a look at that in one of the other ones uh, that's coming up. Most, most likely, the bronze that is referred to is probably copper, um, not really the bronze we know, uh, or brass. It's not probably really brass. It's probably more copper. Um, and the term bronze, bray, uh, brass, and all that um, is generally in Scripture talking about a sinful nature. Isaiah 48, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is as an iron sinew, and thy brow as brass. In Jeremiah, they are all grievous revolters, walking with slanderers. They are brass and iron. They are all corrupters. So brass is um, referred to here with obstinacy, um, the corruption, symbols of the flesh and the way of the flesh. So that was the um, typical covering of this um, item here and we know that there was an offering put on there morning and evening continual burn offering burning all the time okay the, the next thing as we work towards the tabernacle was the laver and the laver was used for washing the hands and the feet now this one probably had the most variations in um, designs in the pictures that i saw but I liked this one the best because it, we're told that it was beaten out of um, brass. It was made of solid brass and it was for washing before conducting the offerings and going inside the uh, tabernacle. So they had to wash their hands and their feet. Now, it'd be a little hard to get your feet up into the laver. So this drawing has like a, a, a moat around the bottom for washing their feet as well, which I, that's quite a nifty idea. Who knows? We're not really told, but that's a good idea to, uh, to fit the purpose. Um, obviously, it was symbolic of baptism and of um, washing, accessing forgiveness through washing. And a few quotes to support that. We've got in John 13, Peter said unto him, unto Christ, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. And in Acts 22, And now why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptised and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. So washing, baptism, all of those things obviously pointed forward to Christ. We, we know what Christ said to John the Baptist. He said, oh, John the Baptist said, oh, you, you need to baptise me, not me, you. And Christ says, well, I've got, I have to do this. This is part of the... The pattern, I have to fulfil all of these things. So it was an important part of what um, was laid down. Okay, the, um, the lampstand. Now this is probably an item that most of us are quite familiar with, um, the seven-branch lampstand. You can see there the, the hexagon base, which is sort of like that picture on Titus's arch, um, and it um, sort of carries over there. Now this 
this um, lamp stand, as we call it, was made of pure gold. So one piece of pure gold beaten into the shape that is required. And there were specific things there. There was, um, there was knops and there was, you know, almonds, shapes and all sorts of things which were dictated to going into this glorious piece. Um, thou shalt make seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light. And obviously inside the tabernacle, this is the only source of light which is there, inside of that gold-lined room. <clears throat> we know that seven represents completeness, um, and so we have the light, we have completeness, and in Psalm 119, we have the word of God described as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. <clears throat> so that God's word is referred to like a light to shine the way in which we go. Also, Matthew, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region, the shadow of death, light is sprung up. So the message of Christ, the redemption through Christ, was like a bright light shining to those that had no hope. They were in the shadow of death. <clears throat> now, this lamp wouldn't have made a great deal of light. As you can see up there on the, on the shelf is an oil lamp which I made um, with some of my own homemade olive oil in there. And I was interested to see how long it burns without having to fiddle with it. And so far, I can't tell you the answer. Um, so quite impressive. Um, but as you can see, it's not very bright. But if this room was covered in gold and there were seven of them, you would have a lot more reflected light going around. But still, it's not going to be that bright inside there with just the lampstand. But, um, yeah, it's ticking away quite nicely there. I thought the air conditioner might have given it a bit of grief, but it hasn't. Okay, the next one on the list as we go inside. So on the, the left-hand side, we've got the, uh, the lampstand. On the other side, we have the table of showbread, which is a bit of an odd description for what this is. Um, Really, the idea is the bread of the presence or the bread of the faces. So it's about face-to-face -face contact with God. The priests did that in the most holy place, but it was fellowship um, here with God through this, this bread here. And the bread was there for um, a whole week, and the bread was unleavened, and it had incense sprinkled on it as well. Now... Apart from the record of David eating the bread when he came to Shiloh, I think it was, from memory, um, it's the only record I think I know of that where someone's actually eating that bread. But obviously by the end of the week it was consumed um, and thrown out and, and replaced. That was the idea. Um, so it was fellowship being signified by this, this table here. Um, it was shittim wood, which is um, like a red, it's called a red acacia, and it was worked, it was carved, and then it was overlaid with gold. Um, and around the edge of this table had a, 
a, a ridge, like a, a fence, so that things couldn't slide off. I did have a look to see if I could get some gold leaf to, uh, to show you, but um, I, when I was looking, I think most of it was false gold leaf, so I, I, I abandoned the idea. thought that was a bit hypocritical, having gold that wasn't gold. So um, gold overlaying these implements here in the tabernacle um, rep is likened to our faith. So the, to the process of getting gold purified to be able to work it and to make it into something is equivalent to the trial of our faith. So first to Peter, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and the glory at the appearing of Christ. So it's likening our faith going through heated trials, the same as gold goes through to, to, be, to be prepared for its work. Now, the odd thing with this quote is gold does not perish. But it says here that gold, more precious than gold that perisheth. So, but when you think about our faith, our faith continues past the resurrection or, or whatever and goes forever. It, it can result in eternal life. Our faith can last forever. If we have a massive pile of gold here today, it won't be with us then. It'll be gone. It'll perish. But our faith will carry over. So our faith, developing our faith, is far better than developing the things of this world. And obviously we know the fellowship that Christ had with his disciples in the Last Supper when he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So that fellowship with his disciples was around the bread, the breaking of that bread and consuming it while they were face to face um, there around that table. <clears throat> okay, the next one, the altar of incense. Now I want you to just notice here with this picture, we have the altar of incense here um, with the priest offering the incense. But you'll see the gold pillar, you'll see the silver socket. So each of those pillars had one silver socket. The wall one behind him there has two silver sockets per wall panel. So there was specific um, rules about each one. Now, <clears throat> there's something wrong with that picture. Can some, anyone tell me what's wrong? Well, there's probably more than one thing. There's one thing in particular that I can see that stands out quite well um, that is not right there. <clears throat> Um, I'm, yeah, I, that's one thing that I questioned when I was reading this, because a lot of it is um, talking about the colours and I, not so much the white. No, no. Well, you're, you're right. It shouldn't have staves. They should be removed. When it was put in place, they should have been removed. So, anyway, small detail. Um, but yes, the, the priest garments, oh, I haven't gone into that um, for this class and I didn't do my homework on that. But from what I've seen so far, the colours were predominantly mixed in all the time in, in the, the record that I've seen so far. So um, not sure, Nathan, on the white versus the colour. I'm not sure about that. Okay, the altar of incense. 
one cubit by one cubit by two cubits high. Again, it was wood and it was overlaid with gold. Now, incense, it's, it's not something that we um, here in Australia or our, our, our culture doesn't really go into incense very much. It's sort of a bit odd to us. But for these people, incense was something that was an important um, part of what they did. And here we have in Psalm 141, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So prayer and incense are linked together in Scripture to show that sweet smell going up to God. <clears throat> now the veil here as well, we'll touch on that. Uh, moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen of blue, purple, scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. So these curtains which were hand-woven had patterns in them with the cherubim displayed in those patterns. My thought is it was probably the gold parts probably would have been the, the cherubims shining on, on the curtains. That's what I would have expected, something like that. Um, and those curtains hang there between the holy place and the most holy place. The silver sockets down the bottom, and he made thereunto four pillars of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold, and their hooks were of gold, and he cast them four sockets of silver. And we know that silver is a representation of, um, of redemption, of cleansing and making us shiny when we were dull. So the redemption with the silver represents um, redemption. Now, it's interesting that you can polish silver and it then returns back to its dirty state. Remember, you probably heard people saying, oh, we've got visitors come, you better polish the silver. That was the concept. If you have a look here in this, this cabinet laid on for me right here, you have, you'll see some of these trophies and they're covered in fingerprints and they're all tarnished and they're looking a little... Uh, worse for wear, but what are they? They've probably been in there for 50-odd years. They would have been lovely and shiny when they went in, but they're not shiny anymore. They, they tarnish, and that's why silver was representative of redemption. We would be cleansed, but we would then go back to our dirty state. So it was a, silver is something that's got to be cleaned um, repetitively. <clears throat> Okay, now, this was really the central piece what God was focusing on. When he gave these instructions, this is what he started with. Now, again, there's a problem with this one. Can anyone see what the problem is with this one? It's pretty obvious. should be pretty obvious. I think Dad's got it. Anyone else can see what's wrong? Nathan, no more, no more tricky questions? No, that's a different carabim. We just said the, the staves on the altar of incense should have been removed when it was in place. These ones stay in place. They're never, ever taken out, but they're overlaid with gold. They're not overlaid with gold. So those staves should be gold, and they never came out of the ark. They stayed in there forever. I do like this um, picture um, from all of the ones that I saw. This one probably appealed to me the most. I liked that one. And I, apart from the staves, I couldn't see too many other problems. 
Now, the ark, there's, there's really two pieces. There's the box and there's the lid. So the box was made of shittim wood and it was overlaid with gold. Um, you can see there where they've done like a texture in the, the wood and then they've overlaid it with gold there. I would expect there to be patterns and palm trees and, and all sorts of things probably worked into some of these vessels. Even the walls, I, I wouldn't have thought that they would just be flat panels. I think there would have been a lot of intricate work done in those, those panels and then overlaid with the beaten gold. Okay, so we have the box of wood overlaid with gold. The staves are in there and they stay there. But the mercy seat, the very top lid, was of, it specifically says it's of one piece of gold and it's solid. No, no wood. So that whole thing was worked out of one piece of gold, which would have resulted in it being extremely heavy. And probably that's why they've made staves so thick. They would have been very heavy. And this section, the lid, is called the mercy seat. So a seat is where somebody sits. Um, and this is where God meets with Moses and speaks. So this is where the interaction with Moses takes place. The mercy seat um, here in the most holy place. <clears throat> You'll see there also a picture of a light around that section, which is the, the seat of God, is um, a shining light. When God's presence was in that room, it didn't need the lampstand. It had God's glory in there at the time. <clears throat> um, as in the, uh, chapter 40 of the, uh, Exodus, the cloud, remember the cloud would come down and indicate that God was there in the tabernacle. And when it moved up and away, then it was time to pack up and move everything along. But when the cloud was down or the pillar of fire, God was in the tabernacle there. Now this ark also, um, going along with the patterns that were being laid down, inside that box there was three things. There was the golden pot of manna, there was Aaron's rod that battered, and the tables of the law, edition number two. Um, so they were inside that box. So what did those items inside the ark um, represent? Obviously, the manna is an easy one because Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that, bre that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread of heaven. So Christ says, I'm the true bread from heaven, not the manna like you had back in the wilderness. Um, the tables um, had the law, the word of God were on those tables and John chapter 1 starts off and it says that um, the word was made flesh and dwelt among, amongst us. So Christ was likened to the word of God in, in, in a human form. So the tables of the law were there um, representing Christ as well. Now the rod... If you remember back to the story of Aaron and the, the rod that budded, um, showing that God selected Aaron for being the high priest. And that special selection for a holy people was what this rod was representing. And Isaiah 27 verse 6 says, He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. 
So we have those, those elements of this rod here represented here in this quote. And the, the people of Jacob, the, the nation of Israel, Jew and Gentile, the selected people of God, are brought together, really, through the work of Christ to be God's selected people. So the work of Christ here represented, um, probably along with some other things as well, um, normally we associate the, the, the flower buds on Aaron's rod with resurrection. It was the first of the trees which came back to life after winter. So there's an association of um, resurrection there as well. So all of these things were fitting a, a pattern to show a lesson to, to what was to come. Hebrews 4, um, describing Christ as our mercy seat, we seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this picture here we have of a throne, a seat of grace where we can obtain mercy. So through Christ, we have access to Christ like a mercy seat, like the people that had the one in the, in the wilderness. We have Christ, a better high priest, who provides a better mercy seat than um, what they had. And it was a picture to point forward. It was a pattern. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he's our intercessor for our to access mercy. <clears throat> so you can see why it was important for Moses to follow the descriptions. If, if Moses went and did something totally different, to what God told him, a lot of these lessons would have been lost. If, if the box wasn't a box, he couldn't have put things in it. So there's certain things which had to be worked and made exactly to the pattern. <clears throat> now we said the people that were making these things were following a pattern, they were given instructions, they were given wisdom by God to, to make things to the pattern. Now, we said at the start that wisdom is, is a knowledge, it's a, it's a goal, it's a knowing how to, a, to put certain steps in place to achieve some goal that is set. And we're told that when it comes to wisdom, it's much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. So what we're going to be looking at now is what... For us, really, what, what is wisdom? We're not going to go and make things for the tabernacle or whatever. We're not going to do that. But for us, what, what is wisdom that we can relate to today? So straight away, we're told you're better off to get knowledge and wisdom than to worry about the riches that you can put in your pocket and find you've got a hole in your pocket. There's no point worrying about those things. Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it is established. So that's really an illustration of having a goal to build a house. You have knowledge, and you know what steps you need to take to achieve that goal. 
That's wisdom in action. And we're told that whatever you do today, do it with all your might, because where you're going, there's no work, there's no device, there's no knowledge, there's no wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Today is the time to use that wisdom that you've got, which God has given us. God has done this before. Think about Joseph in Egypt. And here it says about Joseph, and delivered him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favour and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So Joseph was blessed to have wisdom, to, to be wise and to make the right decisions to run the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. He had a goal. He had knowledge. He put things into place and that plan worked out, as we know, and turned Egypt into an extremely rich country. And 400 years later, they walk out with uh, quite a chunk of it themselves. What about King Solomon? Remember, Solomon's elected uh, king and God says to him, what do you want? Anything you want. And he goes, well, I need wisdom to be able to conduct myself before you know, leading the, the people in and out and doing the things I have to do. So Solomon was given wisdom and all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. So Solomon was blessed by God to achieve great things. Again, he was setting a pattern for um, the kingdom of God and, and all of those other patterns which were in Solomon's life. But here God is blessing him to do things which were beyond his capabilities. He was given that wisdom by God. Um, I think it was last week, Martin was going through Daniel chapter 1 and we were told that Nebuchadnezzar picked out of the captives people who had certain characteristics. And the children in whom was no blemish, but well-favoured, skilful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldees. So these, Daniel was one of those ones which were perceived to have wisdom and cunning in knowledge. And his three friends, obviously, Daniel and his three friends in chapter 1, verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God blessed them to do things which were beyond their capabilities, the same as what Aholiab and Bezalel and all the ones that helped them were able to be driven to follow the pattern, to to make an incredible um, peace for the people of Israel to to worship at. Okay, now the obvious one, really, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52, describes Christ as the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So, 
The Lord Jesus Christ himself was obviously blessed with wisdom and knowledge and he grew and was able to confound most people he dealt with um, through his ministry and the work which he achieved was by God's blessing and through God's strength. Now, we're told that if we lack wisdom, we can ask for wisdom. James chapter 1, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth them not. he, He won't scold you for asking for wisdom, and it shall be given him. But the wisdom that is from above, and here we have, okay, if, if we ask for wisdom, what, how do we know that we're going to have this wisdom? What is, it, what is it going to do for us? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So when we read through the New Testament records and, we, and Paul, Paul gives us lots of lists of things to do this and don't do that and you know, behave like this and don't, do, don't behave like that, if we put these things into our lives as we're developing for God's kingdom, if we all exhibited these characteristics, I'm sure we would be all better off. And we all know which ones we can probably uh, work on. But... Um, They're things which we have to work on. We have to strive to develop these things. And God says, if if you lack wisdom on how to conduct yourself, then you ask. And he won't tell you off for asking, but he will give it to you so that you can do um, these things and develop a character which is then fit for that kingdom which he is to build in the future. So... What we've seen this evening is that God was laying down a pattern through the the craftsmen, the the cunning workmen, to to be an exhibit to show the people the work of Christ to come. We've seen how important that pattern was to follow for Moses, for David, and for many others who set patterns through their lives, but specifically this evening with the working in the tabernacle. I think it's, it's, um, it's... encouraging for us that God used men and women to do this work and bless them with greater powers than they normally could do to achieve his um, work. He could have got the angels to make the tabernacle or whatever, but he didn't. He got men and women and blessed them and encouraged them and worked with them to achieve this great goal, which should be encouraging to us. He's also... Uh, left us a record that we can read and I would have to say this subject has probably left me with more questions than I normally have at the end of a, uh, a Bible class than I would normally have but there's a lot of depth you can probably go for a whole year on the tabernacle um, which I won't but um, it's a lot of information there and there's a lot of things we can read and we've, we've been given this record to, to, to help us to teach us and to give us things to, to ponder we also know that God is building a spiritual house. He's got cunning workmen putting together works for building this spiritual house which he will 
um, assemble in the future age. And we are part of that work which he is working on today. And we're told that if we want wisdom, that God will bless us and help us that we may also do work which is above our own ability and that we can then um, prepare for that kingdom which is to come. So... Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.